well. Welcome along to Beyond Church. My name, uh, if you missed it or in case you forgot, is Chris. If you're joining us tonight for the first time, uh, you're coming in in the middle of a series in part two that we are doing called The Stand. I thought right off the bat, I'd just let you know who this series is for and what you can get from this series. Uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this series is a great opportunity for you to just come along, sit back, relax, and get a backstage pass into what church life is all about. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe uh, you've come to be on recently, you've heard that we're a church for unchurched people, but you don't know what that looks like, we take some time every single year when we revisit how we become or how we be a church for unchurched people. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can sit back, you can uh, just hang out, and you can kind of spy uh, into uh, what it looks like to be church. Uh, and if you weren't here last week, you think, oh, I missed part one. What, what, did, I, what did I miss? Uh, did it, what did they say? Anything cool? Well, I'll give you a 30-second recap of exactly what we covered in part one. Pretty much what we said in part one is that the reason that we exist here at Beyond, the reason that we do everything that we do is because we want to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. That's the reason we started Beyond, and that's the reason that Beyond will always exist, to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. Because right back when the church began, when, when right back uh, around the time of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there weren't, there weren't churches everywhere. In fact, there were only a couple hundred followers of Jesus uh, when Jesus was crucified. And then not long after his crucifixion, the church just kind of grew exponentially. And in those very early days, people who knew nothing about Jesus were interested in Jesus. And we believe that that should be the exact same in this day and age. That's why we are going to be able to talk about over the next few weeks how we become a church that unchurched people love to attend. Next week, uh, we're going to look at the idea that we're contributors, not consumers. Then in part four, we're going to look at the idea that uh, life is better when we're connected, not disconnected. And then in part five, I'm actually going to attempt to, to do something uh, or teach you something that you probably think you already know how to do. Uh, in part five, I, I want to teach us how to be generous. Because a lot of us, not, not that we're not generous people, but we, we confuse generosity with random acts of kindness. In our culture, in our society, we're so good at doing random acts of kindness, but we're not so good at being generous. And if you come along that way, you'll you'll find that if you're generous, you'll actually feel less guilt, you'll save more money, and you'll have a bigger impact long-term than if you just uh, randomly do random acts of kindness. But all that aside, tonight, uh, I want to wade in. I want to show you this guy up here. Uh, This guy, is his name is uh, Darren Brown. He's going to come up in a second. Uh, his name is Darren Brown. Uh, if you don't know who Darren Brown is, he is a magician, uh, but he also he's kind of a magician with a little bit of a twist. He's a magician that does uh, sort of social experiments, psychological experiments, kind of behavioural science experiments. He's not one of those lame Facebook social experiments where they're like, guys, like, hey, you want to come and have coffee? And he's standing in front of the Ferrari, and then the girl's like, yeah, and then he goes and gets his skateboard, and she doesn't want to come, and they can't like, shame her. Like, he does other legit social experiments, not just like shame social experiments. Or when they get the homeless guy and give 50 bucks to see like, you know, if he goes to the, the alcohol store or if he goes uh, and, and where he spends his money. If he spends his money nicer, then they give him more money. He's not one of those guys. He does these uh, unique experiments. And one of these unique experiments is kind of what got him hooked on Derek Brown. What he does is he invites he invite a whole heap of people into a room to participate in a game show. 
And in this game show, the unique thing about it was that he made every single person in the room wear an identical mask. Now, I didn't have the same mask, but just to give you the effect, I thought, imagine we were all wearing Batman masks, because Batman masks, he, had, he gave them white masks, and they just went to And every single person in the audience was wearing these white masks. And they thought they were there to play uh, or take in a game show. And in the game show, what they would do is they would sit there and every person would have a little buzzer in their hand and it would have option one or option two. And throughout the night, they would watch a screen of a man on a date with a girl. And then they would get to choose the consequences of what would happen. So, so the first one was pretty mild. The guy's sitting down uh, to dinner with the girl. They said, option one, have the weight of the water on Or option two, have some guy at the bar come over and claim that he tried to crack on his girlfriend. And so the people started picking options. And over the course of the night, it was really interesting to see that because everyone had kind of disassociated from who they were individually and assimilated with the crowd, then what ended up happening was that guy ended up breaking, they, the option they chose was for him to break into an apartment and start with a baseball bat and smashing this person's TV to pieces. And then what happened was the guy came home while he was doing it, so he ran out into the street and got hit by a truck. And everyone sees this guy get hit by a truck in the show, and so everyone starts to take their mask off and realise, like, what have we just done? And of course, it was set up, they didn't actually kill anyone, but the, the point of the experiment, and what Darren Brown points out to the audience, is that when we go with the crowd, we always sacrifice uh, more than we realise. When we go with, along with the crowd, we always sacrifice something. Now, it might not be a big sacrifice, but over time, if we go along with the crowd long enough, we always, always end up sacrificing more than we realise. And let's be honest, the reason that we go with the crowd is not a bad reason. The reason that, that we move along with our friends or that we, we move around with where the majority of people are, is because it's comfortable. You know this as well as I know this. In fact, if you've ever been in that situation, one of, your, one of the reasons that you might have justified being in the crowd is something like this. Everybody's doing it. If I don't do it, I'll be the odd one out. So I better do it. We don't want to be comfortable. Well, 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 all my friends are going. All my friends, even the one friend who doesn't come all the time, they're coming as well. I've got to go. Everyone in my group, everyone in my community, everyone in my country, everyone on social media is doing it. I better do it too. I bet. And the reason, the reason that we go along with the crowd is because of one word. It's this word. We don't ever want to feel uncomfortable. We don't like that feeling of, of being uncomfortable. In fact, there are some of us right now who are maybe married, and there's a conversation we need to have in that marriage, but we don't want to have it, because it makes us uncomfortable. There are some of you who maybe your boss has called you in and they've asked you, they say, hey, what are your thoughts on this project we're doing? And you don't like the way it's mapped out. You maybe don't like the new staffing structure. You don't like the way they're approaching a particular climate. You don't really tell them. Because that would be uncomfortable. You would be going against what, what their thoughts are. There are some of you who are maybe right now in a relationship or maybe have been in a relationship. And you know, you know this is not going anywhere. This will never, this relationship will not go anywhere. But I don't want to have that conversation with them and, and, and talk about it because that would, that would make me feel weird. And that is some of you are in high school, and you're struggling with some concepts, maybe you need some tutoring, 
Uh, maybe your parents are giving you, uh, maybe you're too scared to go to your parents, uh, to your parents for advice on an issue, or maybe go to your teacher and ask for their help. And the reason you, you want, don't want to go to them is because that would that would tell everyone that you don't actually grasp the concept. You would have to be uncomfortable. And, and we don't like feeling uncomfortable. No one in their uh, in life likes going through and feeling uncomfortable. But here's something, here's something that I know about you because it's true for me. It's not true uh, just for religious people. Uh, this is just true for everyone. Uh, this is just a human thing. When we, when we get too comfortable, that what, we, what we have the potential to sacrifice and what we can miss if we always become comfortable is that ultimately we will sacrifice growth for comfort. Ultimately, if we don't ever make ourselves comfortable, we will sacrifice because here's, here's the thing I know about you. The times in your life where you have grown the most, the times where you have grown the most in your life are not times that you have been comfortable. In fact, there were probably seasons of your life or periods of time where it was really, really uncomfortable for you to be in that season of time, to go through that couple month period, to go through that week or two week transition. But you look back and you say, you know what? I grew so much during that period when I was stretched, when I was uncomfortable. Now, I am not saying you have to go through life living constantly being uncomfortable. That's just unrealistic. It wouldn't be comfortable. <laughs> I'm so glad that I was just about to throw that in my dead jokes. But that, that there are, I'm not saying go through your life constantly looking out to be uncomfortable. What I am saying is, for the vast majority of us, we have a default that is always to be comfortable. And so we never, ever, ever step out and be uncomfortable. There are not too many people in your life, if you think about it, you have to say, whoa, you just feel a little bit more comfortable. Because you are just constantly living on the edge, you're constantly pushing the boundary. There are not too many people like that in your life. But we need to push sometimes to be uncomfortable. Here's a statistic that if you're a follower of Jesus, it should make you uncomfortable. The average number of people worshipping or attending churches across Australia, if you take the average, is 50. The average number of people attending churches in every single church across Australia is 50 people. That should make you uncomfortable if you're a follower of Jesus. Because what that means is, over time, whether intentionally or unintentionally, just because we haven't been paying attention, the church has sacrificed being comfortable for growth. The church has sacrificed sharing the message of Jesus because we would prefer to be comfortable. And over time, if we are not careful, we will actually move away from what it means to be followers of Jesus if we always choose The good news for us is this is not just like a problem that suddenly occurred in the 21st century. This is not suddenly a problem that we have right now in our day and age. In fact, uh, this is an issue that confronted the very, very earliest disciples of Jesus. In fact, the, the 12 disciples, uh, or the dirty dozen as we sometimes call them here at Beyond, they were these kind of holy guys. They were kind of the lower echelon of society. Jesus brought them along with them. These guys who spent three and a half years with Jesus got comfortable. And they sacrificed comfort for growth. In fact, when the church began, like I said earlier, it went from just a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand people overnight. 
And it grew so quickly that when you go from a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand, you think, wow, we've done a good job. This, there's no more work left to do. And they started to get comfortable. And tonight I want to walk us into an incident that snapped them out of, of this comfort cruise control mentality, this zone that they had uh, arrived at. And the two guys who are, who, are, uh, who are in this cruise control mode, first one is Peter. So Peter, if you don't know anything about Peter, Peter denied Jesus because a middle school girl scared him, like a 12-year-old girl freaked him out. And they're like, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to be in charge of the whole movement, okay? So Peter, he's the guy that's kind of in charge of the Jesus movement. And then he's hanging out with John, who is Jesus's, like, one of Jesus' best friends. So... These two guys, they're, they're, they're like really high up in the Jesus movement. These guys have spent more time with Jesus than anything else have gone into prison. And we all had a piece of historical evidence tonight, but a piece of data from that the historian Luke wrote down to us that shows the moment they were snapped out of this cruise control. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. If not, it'll come on the screen for you. And it says this. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. So there was two prayer services a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And even though they were followers of Jesus, the early followers of Jesus would still go uh, to the temple. They, were still, they had Jewish roots. This was not something they could just like devoid. Because in that day and age, uh, your religion was just ingrained in your culture. So these guys, they still saw some merit to some of the practices, so they would go along into the temple. And they're rocking in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the prayer service. And it says, as they approached the temple, a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. And we don't know exactly what was wrong with this guy. All we know is he couldn't walk. He couldn't stand on his feet. He had, he had some kind of birth defect or some kind of issue where for his entire life, he had not been able to stand uh, or walk at all. It says this, each day he was put to the side of the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And I want to show you just, just kind of how incredible and how vast this temple is. You know, we say temple and we have these like ideas in our mind. Uh, this, is, this is what the temple would have looked like. This is a, uh, uh, an artist rendering. This one here. <laughs> No, there we go, there we go. So this is kind of an artist's rendering of what the, what the temple would have uh, looked like. So, uh, around, so uh, around that temple, on the outside as well, there would have been courtyards. You can see some of the courtyards where people would have been milling around. And this is where Peter and John, they would have been on the outside courtyards of the temple, hanging out as this man is carried past in there with a whole crowd of people. And so they just see this guy just cruising past on, on this man or with his family and friends carrying him. And they're just kind of hanging in the crowd. This, this beggar had become so much part of the fabric that no one seemed to pay attention that there was a man in need in the middle of the temple. And so they said, now we don't know exactly where the beautiful gate was, but some people say the gate beautiful is on the right-hand side. And to give you an idea, you can see just how big this temple was. In the top right-hand corner is an American football field. It shows the size comparison. So you can see just how massive this temple was, how, how filled it would have been with people, how easy it would have been to get lost in the crowd. And this guy's family, they take this beggar and they stick him right at the front of one of the gates where people had to walk past to go into the prayer service. 
So Peter and John see this guy come in and they refine this. When Peter, uh, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John, with some of the key leaders in the Jesus movement, the movement that was founded on love, the movement where, where Jesus himself would go out of his way to hang out with the tax collectors, to hang out with prostitutes, to hang out with outcasts, two of Jesus' key leaders had been for days walking past this lame man. And it's not until this lame man reaches out to them and says, hey, can I have some money that they snap out of it? But when they, this is, this is the moment where they snap out of it. It says, Peter and John looked at him intently and they said, look at us. Or if you're a Catholic King fan, look at me, look at me, look at me. And they, they, they snapped out of it and they say this. The lame man looked at them eagerly. He was expecting money. He's expecting money because they're, they're walking, these, you know, these Jewish uh, people, they're walking into the temple. There's a guy there standing for money and it's easy. It's convenient just to throw a few coins there. And so these beggars thinking, well, these guys aren't going to be any different. I'm just going to throw a few coins there, aren't they? And we find out this. It said, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any money. I don't have any gold or silver for you. But I'll give you what I Snap back into reality. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now I understand, like if you're if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a church, but that statement is weird. You know, like there are not too many people, there are not too many people in the middle of King George Square, or in the middle of uh, cities that you visited around the world, if they're lame, if they're, if they're uh, beggar, that you would go and go, in the name of Jesus, just stand up. You would expect that the disciples were just throwing money, because what else could they give? But if you're a follower of Jesus, do not miss this point. Do not miss the fact that the disciples' love for this man was not limited by what they did. Their love for this man was not limited by what they didn't have. Too often, as followers of Jesus, we're like, oh, well, I can't do what's comfortable, so I better not do anything more. These guys, when they snapped back into, when they, they snapped out of the crowd, they realised that it wasn't, that, that Jesus had called them to love whoever was right in front of them. Not, not who was comfortable right in front of them, not love them when they might not have had the resources right in front of them, but to love the person right in front of them and to not defer it to anyone else in the crowd. If they were in front of you, Jesus would have said, they're your responsibility to love, not someone else's. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, as you would do if you got the use of your feet back for the first time in your entire life, stood uh, and began to walk. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. So straight away, Peter and John, they're walking through that beautiful gate. Come on, hurry up, let's go. We're going to go into the prayer service. Okay, yeah, enough dancing around. We're going to go to the prayer service. And this guy's dancing around and, and everyone's filing into the prayer service. And no one really pays attention to this guy. It's just, you know, this, this guy had been there for so long and just become part of the furniture. But what's interesting is what happens after the service. What happens directly after the service is this. When they realised, so when the crowd realised that he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful game, they were absolutely it took them, you know, walking into the, the service, they were like, oh, this is, this is not that weird, there's a dude praising God. But then after the service, this guy kept praising God. 
this guy, everyone's looking around like, is this guy on something? Like, well, what's, what's going on with this guy? Why is he so happy after he's come out of the service? Like, he's done his time, it's all good. They didn't even realize who it was straight away. And then, and then when they finally took they're like, oh, that was Rebecca. So, so how does this apply to us? If you're a follower of Jesus, how does this, how does this, um, how do we, where's the rubber hitting the road in our lives? And the application point for us is to realize the same thing that Peter and John realized. The same thing that snapped Peter and John back out of their stuck in the crowd mentality was this. Standing up for something will sometimes require you to stand out from the crowd. Standing up for something will sometimes require you to stand out from the crowd. See, for them, they knew how to it wasn't that, oh, we've got to figure out how to love. They'd hung out with Jesus. They had seen Jesus model this all the time. In fact, they had modeled it themselves to him. But because they got so caught up in the crowd, they just got comfortable. They didn't want to make themselves uncomfortable. They'd already been made uncomfortable too many times. And they just got stuck in that autopilot mode. And that so often can be where we as followers of Jesus get stuck. You just get stuck in that moment. It's come to church on Sunday. You go to a connect group during the week. You go, you know, if you're not a follower, just like connect. What? What are they doing there? Like, what? You know, we just get stuck in this rhythm. And the reason that we get stuck in this rhythm is because we think that church is something we go as opposed to something we are. See, the church was never ever intended to be a place that we went to. It was always supposed to be who we are. And as a follower of Jesus, if you begin to realize that church is not somewhere you go, but it's who you are, then your whole approach changes. Because when you go to a place, like, like we see this example here, you can always defer caring to someone else. Well, it's not my job, I'm just coming here to worship. Yeah, I'm just getting stuff done today. I've just got to get this prayer service done, then I've got to get back to work. It's never your job. You can always defer it. But when you realize that you are the church, the person right in front of you is your responsibility because you are the church. You are Jesus' hands and feet. You don't have the option to defer it to someone else. And beyond, we like to say it this way. We like to say, we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. In order to reach people no one's reaching, we'll have to do things that no one is doing. No, I sound big. Anything, like make myself uncomfortable, short of sin kind of stuff, but see, it's, it's actually not that big, and it's not that scary if you think about it. In fact, we have this thing at Beyond, it's called Four Monday, because we like to, uh, we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful for you, if it doesn't add some value to your life on Monday. So this is my challenge, just for followers of Jesus. This is our Four Monday this week. Ask yourself this question, the next time you defer and say, oh, that's the church's job. Now, the next time you have that tendency to be like, oh, it's not my responsibility. What, ask yourself this question, what am I giving up to go with the crowd? What am I giving up to go with the crowd? When you delegate loving the person right in front of you, what are you giving up? What opportunity are you missing to perhaps show Jesus to someone who's never, ever experienced Jesus before? What opportunity are you missing to show Jesus to people in your family? What opportunity are you missing 
when you decide to go with the crowd to show Jesus to other followers of Jesus. Because you and I, we have no idea what could the potential loving the person right in front of us have. In fact, too many of us, because we think church is a place we go to, we think, well, I cannot love the person right in front of me because I'm not at the front of the microphone. I don't play guitar. I don't run a ministry. I don't, you know, I'm not heavily involved in the whole building side of church. And a great communicator, Andy Stanley, he puts it this way. He says, you have no, like he says, your greatest contribution, brother, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you love. Because you have no idea how loving a person right in front of you could impact their life, and how through impacting their life, you could impact the kingdom of God. You have no idea the skills and the talents that that person has that they could use in the kingdom. And you will never, ever find out if you defer that loving that is your job to someone else. What would happen, just imagine with me, just, just imagine with me if all the followers of Jesus, just for seven days, for seven days we asked that question, what am I giving up to go with the crowd? For seven days we love the person directly in front of us. How would our world, how would your community be different? How would your workplace look differently if you love the person right in front of you? If you didn't defer it? How would your family look differently? How would people you come in contact with look differently? And now imagine how it would look after a month, or after six months, after an entire lifetime of loving the person right in front of you. Because doing anything short of sin is not that hard. It's all about loving the person right in front of you. And I'm convinced that if we this, the average church attendance across Australia would be in the thousands. But it's too often we afraid standing up for something, or ultimately, or sometimes, require you to stand out in the crowd. Don't be in the crowd. Stand out, because you have no Lord, we thank you so much for uh, these words that have been preserved throughout history that we have the opportunity to, to go back and read. And Lord, we, we often, uh, in our own lives, have a, have a tendency to be comfortable. Because let's be honest, it's, uh, it's not comfortable being uncomfortable. It's not fun. But Lord, you didn't call us as followers of Jesus to be comfortable. You called us to follow you. You called us to be known your love that we show to others. So Lord, I just pray that this week, that we would be a community that does anything short of sin, that loves the person right in front of us, even if it requires us to stand out from the crowd. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Mari back up and we're going to move now into a time of communion. And if you're new with us, and maybe you're not sure what this is, uh, there's a couple of stations up the front with uh, bread and wine. And in the New Testament part of the Bible, in fact, uh, some of Jesus' uh, disciples and uh, people that hang out with Jesus recorded in the, in the books Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they recorded of a time where Jesus was gathering together with his disciples. And he shared a meal with them the very night before he was betrayed and he died on the cross. And when he was sharing this meal with them, he broke bread, and he said, I want you to take me this bread. 
This is my body that's being broken for you. You do this whenever you gather together in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup. And it was the fourth cup, the skulls thing was the cup of salvation. And Jesus said, This is my blood of the new covenant that's shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. You do this whenever you come together in remembrance of me. So now in a moment we're going to step into and uh, share, have an opportunity to share that meal that the very first disciples shared with Jesus. Uh, a meal where Jesus uh, comes and meets us face to face and, and forgives us of our sins. And if maybe you're asking, like, is this, is this something I have to do if I want to come and partake of this meal for the first time? No. We just say that you want to be forgiven and you want to leave a uh, forgiving life. Um, but the band's going to continue to play and you just take the bread and dip it in the wine. And, um, and if, if tonight you're kind of like, ah, oh, this is not my thing, I'm new here, oh, it's, it's, it's weird enough to be being in church, let alone uh, having communion, that's okay. You can just hang out in your seat and you can just listen uh, to the band as whoever uh, wants to come forward and come But let me pray for you first before you Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you're a God who. You don't require anything of us to earn. You don't require us to earn grace. Would you look down on us and, and you look at that, uh, our life, not the life that we show to everyone else, but the, the parts of our life that we try to lie about. The parts that we're kind of ashamed of. Maybe the chapters of our life that we hope that no one will ever read. And Lord, you look down on that for us. And you say, I love you. I want you to know me. I don't want to hold anything you've done in the past against you. And sometimes that is so hard for us to comprehend. But Lord, tonight I just pray that we would confess those times we've broken those in our relationship with you and with others. And that we would trust, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That when Jesus was hanging on the cross, covered in the blood and saliva of his creation, he uttered those three words. It is finished. That those words were meant that that grace was meant for us. And so, Lord, I just pray uh, as we set time aside to come and share this meal with you, that we would experience that for you, so we would meet you face to face. And it would all be because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray these things uh, in your son's name. Amen.